Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. We've got bagels with salmon in the fridge. We're here with Amy Corin Roth of the Taste of Troy Food Tours. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, my first question has to do with something that you mentioned in our Vox Pop episode about Troy in its heyday was a wealthy city. And uh, you talked a little bit about the dinner parties that they would throw. Can you give us a glimpse into what a dinner party would taste like in the 1800s in Troy? I can't do all eight courses, but I can <laughs> give you a few of them. Um, they were extremely elaborate, and um, they went on for hours. If you can imagine a nine-course dinner party, and they didn't just have like one item in each course. So when I was looking at in the Historical Society at the list of uh, things that would be served, for example, desserts, I was trying to find what they had. They had about seven or eight or nine different desserts listed. Wow. And then last year I served macarons, the French macaron, and I found macaroons on the list. I said, good, this is something connects. <laughs> I can link it back to the dinner parties. Um, they used to serve live oysters, and so they would have them shipped in in barrels of wet sand that they um, would keep them alive so that they could serve them fresh. And they served a lot of salmon. So again, a connection back to what I serve on my tour is that there's salmon involved. But uh, So they were very elaborate. They would have the meat course. They would be heavy. They would have a, a variety of different things, very much of the Victorian era. I mean, it really was uh, like you would see in a Downton Abbey movie <laughs> uh, of what they would serve. So would... What sorts of recipes would those be, though, specifically? Like, are they going to have sausage and peppers? Would they have no. eaten sausage and peppers? No. No, so is there they any would have been of- much more sort of in the British style, I think, of cooking for, as I say, kind of I would think back to Downton Abbey. And cookbooks were not that popular. In the 1800s, they were not that common. But they would sort of be the classic styles of cooking. The things probably be meats that would be probably didn't have that much grilling probably would be more stewed or roasted or braised. You know, probably you think of like the big roast of meat that they would be carving. Might be fish that would be prepared, probably with some sort of cream sauce is my imagination. But I I haven't looked. It's been three years since I've looked at what those menus were, so I I might be off. But (laughs) I'm guessing that that's probably what they had. Did they fish in the Hudson back then? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have to worry so much about the... Before GE. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I just went to a bachelor party and we had a really nice dinner that we went to that lasted, I think, four hours. Mm-hmm. And I have not gone to something like that before. And it was nice to just concentrate on the food for that long because normally we're, you know, you're checking your phone at dinner, you're watching TV, you're doing this or that. And it was a time to sit and enjoy the people you're with and food. And I feel like that's probably what those parties were kind of like. Right. And I imagine they sat at the long tables. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of those brownstones that are in Troy, I'm sure they had like a long dining room and long table and they probably got served. I don't think they did buffet style, I would imagine. This is my head, but I really go back to Downton Abbey. I think of them, you know, lining up the the utensils with the ruler, making sure they're all (laughs) properly served and then plating. And they probably change their utensils for different courses, et cetera. And they know which utensil to use. Probably. Outer fork, inner fork. (laughs) Work from the outside in. In, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So with the food tours, it's been doing great in Troy. 
And I know that you mentioned before that you didn't want to necessarily expand and have a huge staff, but would you consider going more into the history of Albany and Schenectady and having the tours there as well and expanding that way? So I'm actually developing the Albany tours. I mean, Albany's huge, but and I originally when I would think of doing an Albany tour, my head always went to Lark Street and Central, and while there's lots of great restaurants, I couldn't think of how to build a storyline around them or that there would be enough places of interest to talk about besides the restaurants. But um, I got actually approached by the visitor center um, in Albany, a note saying, would the owner of Trace Detroit consider coming to the other side of the river and doing something here? So we are in discussions. I've met with vendors. I've identified, and it would be a downtown, a historic downtown Albany, so it would be more around Broadway and State Street, Pearl Street, and um, hopefully it'll go live uh, next spring. Wow, that's great. Thank so, you. So, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like Albany and walkable areas, and we have a couple walkable areas, but it's not one like Troy where right. there's just like history in downtown in the one area. Well, a lot of uh, other food tours um, around, like in Chicago, where I was trained um, to do food tourism, they have four different food tours in Chicago. So they're different areas and they cover different rest because there's neighborhoods and mm-hmm. they, they hide. So that would be what you'd have to probably do more. But again, there's like a formula that you look for in a food tour. You want to be able to have good restaurants. You want to be able to have them with enough of a break between so that you can talk and you want like every three or four blocks to have something of interest to talk about. We include history and architecture as well, and culture. So you want to be able to have enough of that to include. So there, uh, Troy was perfect. And I'm learning, I've come around to embrace the historic downtown <laughs> Albany district that it would work as well. Um, and I'm now looking forward to it. Like I actually paced it out when I, once I kind of thought of the restaurants and then I walked it, you know how your phone app can tell you how mm-hmm. many steps you've done and convert that to miles. So I mm-hmm. like had it on and figured out. So it is a mile and a half, which is mile and a half to two miles is what you try to keep it to. And Not you try to bad. keep it about three hours and, uh, and breaks in between. So I think I've got it. Great. Keep people from feeling uncomfortably full even though you're tasting you're still eating and walking a little and eating and walking a little right and it's not like you just get like you know a toothpick full you're really you want them to have a taste but the with marla the riff of the reuben we did we did the riff because her reuben is delicious but it's massive and when i first (laughs) went in to try it i was like all right do i serve it and cut it in thirds on each half and give people you know I was trying and then she said well we could do a riff where I do the same topping and everything but then we put on a smaller piece of bread now normally it's on rye hers is on a french bread because that works better for this alternative so you kind of work with the vendor um and the partner to say this is like in psychedelicatessen we um she makes mini bagels, which you can order from her. She, she needs a day's notice to get them. But she, um, I order mini bagels because that's just, it's really what bagel size used to be, like four ounces. It's like the palm of your hand. Mm. But, you know, she makes them up for me, and that's the perfect size for what we're, to start off the tour but not fill you up so much that you can't eat anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so restaurants are often volatile. It's a volatile market. They open, they close. How much does that play into who you choose for? Do you try to take restaurants that have been around a long time because they have more chance of staying open or is it it's a mix i mean i think that um troy because it's expanding and growing um i don't know none of them except for browns none of them that are on my tour have been around more than two to three years well marla's been there six years but the others have been there Mm -hmm. shorter periods of time so it's somewhat of a gamble but you i mean i feel my job 
without the restaurants, I don't have a tour. <laughs> and my job is to promote them and and then hopefully they would also promote me that I'm good for their business. So, you know, they say in the class, you want to be their best customer. Well, I'm not big enough to be their best customer, but I'm their most reliable. Every Saturday that I have a tour and I communicate, they know exactly who's coming. They know what time. They know that I'm in in 15, you know, I come in at the, around the time I say, and by 15, 20 minutes we're gone, they have that table all over again to use and set up. So, um, and I pay them monthly. I'm very responsible, about, you know, all that stuff. So I feel it's my job to promote them. And then I really hope that my customers will come back to them so that they get business out of me twice, at least twice. Yeah. And that'll help keep them right. going. And, <laughs> right. Exactly. And so it's like shopping local. You want to support that to keep it going. Did you talk to just these five restaurants or did you talk to a bunch when you started? In Troy, pretty much. I mean, my dessert stop has changed. But um, the first year it was Sweet Sue's, and she actually um, sold her business there and has bought one of the, after they did the Breathing Light exhibit, she brought mm -hmm. one of the houses and is rehabbing it. And um, she has a family member who's not well, so she's traveling a lot. So she just felt she couldn't commit this year, which I certainly understand. So I had to you know, change that. But I pretty much, when I was going to the class, I kind of researched different restaurants and kind of sketched it out in my head. And pretty much everybody that I had, I visioned being there as who's in my tour. That's great. I mean, I had to convince the church. I also have a, a taste that's um, one of my guests said food for the soul. So St. Paul's Episcopal Church has an entire Tiffany interior. Wow. And so um, that's one of our stops. But I had to convince them to be open every Saturday. They used to be open Troy night out for um and that weekend and then for the Victorian stroll. And if they had people coming for a tour, there was generally a hefty price tag. So we, I always do a donation. I encourage my guests to do a donation because they're dependent, but um, it's just an amazing uh, venue and uh, it's really worth it. And it, again, it relates back to the history of Troy be, when um, it was such a wealthy community um, and its location being at the northernmost navigable point of the river so that the Tiffany windows could come up. They had the, this wealthy congregation could afford to hire Tiffany to go to Europe with them to look at cathedrals and then redesign the interior that their walls were being pulled down by their balconies and it was done in a year and a half so if you've ever been to Europe and seen most of the cathedrals there they're built over hundreds of years there's not a lot of synchronicity to it because there's all these different styles mm -hmm. it was done in a year and a half so there's wow. much lot of cohesion and it's beautiful and it's still there you know so it's a uh, it's a treasure that we have here so do you have any funny tour stories funny tour stories well, I, this is not, I don't know if it's funny, haha, -ha, but it's amusing. <laughs> the very first two tours I did, they were friends and family tours. Like, I greatly discounted it. I just wanted to, like, run through, see how it went. And I got, uh, I think I got written up in the Times Union as launching, and somebody bought the ticket full price. Like, two people bought two tickets full price, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is for friends and families. I don't, you know, now I've got to really be good. I wanted it to kind of, <laughs> they never showed up. Oh, so they bought, they paid full price. Oh, man. They never came on the tour. I have no idea why. I don't, you know, and it was like, so I, that's, I mean, it's not funny, haha, but it's like really weird. <laughs> I mm -hmm. mean, it's, uh, thank you for your support. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if they ever came back and took a tour. I don't know, but because I, I know the names, because I have a third party ticketing. I have a website, people go through them and purchase, and so I get the names of the people. And I have learned now, like tricks of the chase, you get better. Um, I text people in the morning and I just say, um, 
good morning. This is what the, I do a little weather forecast. I say be ready for deliciousness. And here, you, this is where you can park because four days ahead, I send a reminder, but no, people don't read it. <laughs> some people don't know where to park their car. So I just send out this little text. I've learned some people don't read their texts, but most people do. <laughs> um, and so I kind of take away some of the tension of it's quarter of, they're not here yet. We, we have to start at 10. Are we waiting for someone? So that just smooths it out a little bit. So. <laughs> What's the worst weather you've had on a tour? Oh my gosh, this year has been really challenging. <laughs> so we um, last year there was like a really hot day, and I I actually bought water bottles, which oh normally we have water every stop, but I mm-hmm. froze them so that they could have them, so they'd be thawing as we went along, because I was like afraid they were going to fry. <laughs> but this year we've had so much rain, so I don't remember which day it was, but one of the days. I had warned people to be ready for rain. We got to the church, which was my third stop, right before the Ilium, and we walked out, and it was torrential buckets c- coming down. They all had umbrellas and raincoats, and I normally I chat about the Troy Savings Bank Music Hall. I said, we're just going straight to the Ilium, <laughs> and we'll talk inside. And we, I mean, literally drenched. Like, my shoes took two days to dry out. Oh, no. And then when we left, it, the sun was out. It was better. And there was a second day of, of a ton of rain. So there's been two really rainy days. But um, on the whole, I get, this year, the second tour, the second week in May, it was very windy. I don't know if you remember that. So they, in the, the farmer's market, like, the, the street was covered with pasta because it had flung broken oh jars of, of pickles. Oh People were holding down their tents. I mean, it's a, it was windy. So it's, yeah, this I year has been that. a little challenging. But. Something out of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining thank us you. and uh, sharing your stories. Oh, my pleasure. That was Amy Corn Roth of the Taste of Troy Food Tours. Find the website at tasteoftroyfoodtours.com. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jim Lavoulis. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge. 